Hi there, thank you for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast. This is a show where two old friends, old friends who love the Transformers and have loved the Transformers since they were children, get together to rewatch the Generation 1 Transformers cartoon in story order and then reflect on what they saw from the perspective of how we engaged with it as children and how we feel about it as adults today. My name is Jersey Jost. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist, and the other host is named... Hoover. And still Hoover. Not Hoover's just desserts. Desertion of the Hoover. <laughs> Long gone Hoover. Bye-bye Hoover. I can't wait till the next two-parter desserts of the Dinobots. <laughs> Me, Grimlock, love banana split. <laughs> Me swoop. I love frozen yogurt. Ew. <laughs> Me sludge just like to eat mud. Stop that. You'll get dirty, sludge. <laughs> so, yeah, we're talking about Desertion of the Dinobots Part 1 this week. Another two-parter. Holy moly. Mm-hmm. But amazingly, it is a Dinobot episode not written by Donald F. Glute. It is by Earl Cress, and oh. he wrote the Ultimate Doom Part 2 screenplay. Not the plot, but the screenplay. And he yeah. wrote The Immobilizer, which was the debut of Carly. And speaking of Carly, guess who's back this episode? Oh, my avatar. That is interesting. I didn't realize that Earl Cress was the right... You know, I, I, I saw it in the credits, but I just didn't register in that he didn't up until now, have most of the Dinobot episodes been written by Donald F. Glute? Mm-hmm. Yep. Aha! Aha! Dinobots, War of the Dinobots, et cetera, et cetera. So the Dinobots feel a bit different in this one to me. And I think we're entering our new phase of where they're going to get like a little bit more sillier and kiddier. They're not quite there yet, but they, they don't feel as dangerous as they have in mm. episodes past. Like, I'm going to spoil one thing right now, Hoover. Teletran 1 doesn't get killed in this one. <gasps> the, the, Dino, the Dinobots show up, and Teletran 1's like, oh! And then they walk away, he's like, oh. <laughs> so, okay, is it what, what episode on Tubi is this, if people want to watch and play along? Find this in the Season 2 bracket, Episode 19. Season 2, Episode 19 on Tubi.tv. Here comes the IMDb read. <clears throat> When Autobots and Decepticons both begin to suffer from violent mechanical breakdowns, the cure for the condition is discovered on Cybertron. The Autobots' only hope for survival lies with the unaffected Dinobots, but Grimlock sees the crisis as an opportunity to rebel against Optimus Prime's leadership. Well, that sounds like it's in character for him, given what we've seen so far of Grimlock. Mm -hmm. And that was the first of the log lines on IMDb that was so long that you had to click to see more. Oh. But it's a good summation of the episode. It is. Real quick 10,000 foot view discussion on this. I remember watching this one as a child. I remember very vividly. Mm -hmm. And this one felt really grim to me as a kid. I, I, and watching it as a grown up, I'm like, eh, why was I so upset? It's it certainly got a lot of danger and threat for our heroes, but like, it doesn't feel nearly as dire as like Ultimate Doom or even Megatron's Master Plan. But I, I remember having a, a visceral reaction to seeing Power Glide holding his head in his lap. <laughs> yeah. 
And then the part when Perceptor later on says, like, oh, fortunately, I'm stuck in microscope mode. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's stuck. He can't be a robot. He can't move around. You know, like, something about that just, I found it so profoundly upsetting. And I think seeing all the Autobots laying on the floor groaning, you know, when we see that later on, I'm like, okay, that was probably upsetting me, too. But, yeah, I remember this one feeling really scary. But let's find out. What am, what am I referring to for those who have not watched the episode? Where does this one begin, Hoover? Well, we open on another unfamiliar location where a strange-looking plane is doing loop-de-loops in the air. And as we pan right, we see a human and a few Autobots watching the plane fly. We have Optimus, Hound, Mirage, and Jazz. Prime tells the human Professor Green that his work is very impressive. The Professor is flying the plane via remote control. And he says that the Autobots have saved the planet from the Decepticons numerous times, and with this development, they may be able to return the favor. All right. He's flying a plane with a remote control. Mm-hmm. What's, what, you said it's a strange-looking plane. Why is it strange-looking? What, what is it It almost has, like, two different cockpits, which yeah. is weird because it's being flown by remote control, and he shouldn't need <laughs> yes. any cockpit. Right. But instead, he went with an additional cockpit. There was a Decepticon. Is it Double Dealer, who is like the two-cockpitted plane? The Seeker shows up in Season 3, I think? 87? Slugslinger, Slugslinger, Slugslinger. Slugslinger, thank you. But I don't remember how I felt about the plane in this episode when I saw it as a kid, because I didn't remember this scene. But I remember seeing that toy with the two cockpits. I'm like, well, clearly there's some advantage to having two cockpits. And we, I mean, we saw like the Bespin Cloud car when we were kids, which right. had two cockpits. I'm like... Okay, maybe there's something about having two pilots, I guess. I don't know. It seems weird to me. But, like, yeah, you're right. Like, it's got two cockpits, yet there's a dude running it with a remote control. And then there's this, like, odd line just dropped in where he's like, well, maybe this is a way for us to pay you back. Pay him back with what? This this two, two-headed plane that he's flying with remote control? Very unclear. And I don't know if this ever gets clarified in this episode, Hoover. It doesn't get clarified, but the only thing that came to my mind as to what that could mean is that now the Autobots don't have to fight the Decepticons all the time. We can just do drone strikes on the Decepticons. Oh, okay. Okay. I I feel comfortable again. Thank you. <laughs> Where's my theme for when Hoover explains things in the episode to Jersey and then it makes everything okay again? <laughs> I have a dearth of musical themes, people. You need to send those in. <laughs> you you have the little windows uh, chime that you make whenever I like retroactively agree with something that you said <laughs> that you always slip in like very like quietly like as, as if like I didn't even hear it you just turn to the audience and smiling <laughs> look at it. he agreed with me finally uh, but yes we need one for when I get upset so I'm like I don't get it and then you go oh it's just this I'm like oh okay 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 I can watch again <laughs> Well, we cut away to Ironhide sitting in van mode with his trunk open. And inside, we see Soundwave in tape deck mode, who ejects Ravage. But next to Soundwave is a red and gray tape deck, who partially transforms enough to grab Ravage by the tail. Remember Blaster Gang? We saw him once in Dinobot Island Part 1, just standing around the base, making music. So he transforms and gets in a tussle with Ravage. Hmm. Soundwave takes this opportunity to transform and flee. But how did Soundwave get into the back trunk of Ironhide in the first place? Did he not realize it was an Autobot and he just walked right up to it and tried to be sneaky? 
I'm confused. Yeah, like, was Ironhide napping? Right? Because, like, like if, if Soundwave walked up and, like, oh, I, I found a place to hide, how did Ironhide not know? Right. right. And, like, how did Blaster not know? Was it literally, like, a, an Autobot nap that, like, you know, Soundwave cl- closed in on? But then when Ravage jumps out, it's like, you know, Blaster comes right to life. It's like, hey, wait a second, you. So, like, this, this whole setup is, like, very bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like maybe this is another one of those scenes where there was something else that was written that didn't get animated or got cut for time. But it's it's a very strange way to start the episode because, like, at this point, yeah, we all know Sound was a tape deck. He snuck into the arc a couple times, you know, but okay. So it's very odd. So Soundwave flies over to a place nearby where Starscream and Megatron also watch the flight of this radio-controlled drone with much interest. Starscream intends to blast it to dust, but Megatron swats him and hands him some sort of bomb instead in order to be more discreet. Since when has discretion mattered to us? Perhaps you're getting weak, Megatron. And with that zing, Starscream flies off to dispose of the drone. Now back at Ironhide, he seems to only just now notice the scuffle going on inside him as Blaster wrestles with Ravage. Decepticons, we'd better notify Prime. And with that, Ravage gets away. Somehow, Starscream is able to get close enough to the drone jet to drop the bomb without being seen, and drops the bomb directly onto it. Yeah. Even though the Autobots are just like watching this drone closely, they somehow don't notice if a F-14 flies directly above the drone. Okay, sure. Yeah, there's like a bunch of this one's like starting out with like a whole bunch of silliness yeah. that suggests like okay, we're going back to writing episodes for five year olds. Although I would say, not really because of the plot of this one, but like these parts right here feel like some of the early season two episodes. Mm-hmm. Well, just as Blaster and Ironhide run up to warn Prime of the Decepticon presence, the drone blows up. Blaster and Ironhide reveal that Soundwave and Ravager here and Prime gets the notion to inspect the wreckage of the drone. They transform and head in the direction of the downed drone. Now Megatron sees the Autobots head off and uses the opportunity to attack the nearby building, which a sign points to, saying EJK entrance. Now I don't know what an EJK is. Empire Jet Collaborators? Sure. Empire Jet Collaborators. Perfect. <laughs> What does it really stand for, Hoover? No, actually, it, it stands for Earl J. Kress, per the TF Wiki. Ah. So it's just a cute little way to inject his initials into the story. Oh. Anyway, inside the building, lots of scientists are busy sciencing when Megatron blows a hole in the wall and demands that they surrender the fighter blueprints and they won't get hurt. A Starscream has to sass him for that comment. No reason to be soft with the flesh creatures! And the threatened human points in the direction of the giant safe, and Soundwave makes his move. As he heads toward it, he retracts his left hand and unleashes some stethoscope-like sensors. He analyzes the door of the safe and announces that it's made of six feet of steel. And Megatron doesn't think that's a problem, saying he'll be through it in no time. But then a familiar voice chimes in and says, You're through now, Megatron! 
And yes, Prime is here with his bunch. Jazz rushes in, changes to car mode, and unleashes his speakers on them. Mirage turns invisible and rushes in as well. Jazz's music severely incapacitates Starscream, who just shouts, What's going on? and covers his ears. <laughs> Megatron lambasts him for being disabled by a little sound and light show and prepares to fire at the Autobots, only to have his fusion cannon yanked off his arm by the invisible Mirage, completely taking him aback. And then Mirage turns visible and asks if this is a better diversion. But Megatron starts wrestling over the fusion cannon, trying to grab it back. Yeah, boner move there, Mirage. Like, you, you get the gun off his arm, then you turn visible and keep standing there. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you run. You run, like, as fast as you can in the other direction. <laughs> and make run towards Optimus, because if Megatron chases you, then you got Optimus to get between the two of you. But Mirage is like, oh, look at what I did. Ha, ha, ha. What are you doing? <laughs> While still under Jazz's audio assault, Soundwave looks up to see Megatron retreating and motioning for them to follow. Megatron is retreating. So what else is new? And the pair of Decepticons follow him out and take off. But Megatron's still here, wrestling with Mirage. Ah, uh, so it turns out that the retreating Megatron was only a hologram of hounds. So now that Soundwave and Starscream have left... It's six on one, and as Megatron finally grabs his cannon back from Mirage, in comes Optimus, who kicks Megatron through the wall, making a new hole in the wall right next to the entrance <laughs> hole. And so Megatron gets that while the getting's good, and Jazz retorts. Now a sight I never get tired of. So then we cut away to Funarama Park. An amusement park with roller coasters, Ferris wheels, and more. As we see Bumblebee, Spike, and Carly. Yay! Yay. Having fun on a ride that spins them around as it also rotates. Or at least two of them are having fun. This is supposed to be fun? You'll see, Bumblebee. And with that, she lifts up Bumblebee's chest plate and hits a button, instantly causing him to giggle nonstop. Spike asks what she did, and she retorts that she switched off his equilibrium circuits. A Bumblebee sure has a better reaction to that than Megatron did in SOS Dinobots. Let's see if I can remember how that went. I think it was like... My equilibrium destabilized! Ah, yes, that's how it went. Well, okay, so here's here's another little-known fact. I don't know if I've ever talked about this publicly very much, but... Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, I think Megatron and I share a similar medical affliction. Uh-oh, we're going to get a Jersey throw-up story, aren't we? No. I, oh. I, I, well, well, we can go there, but I, I, for, the, <laughs> for the sake of people who may have, like, like, real phobias about that, I won't go into great detail. I can't burp on command. Like, I've been to doctors oh. for this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, like, the, and it comes down to, and I've been to, like, a couple different doctors, and, like, the, the sphincter at the top of my stomach, like, I just can't control it, like, the way everybody, or a lot of other people can. And I've been told it's, like, not rare, but it's uncommon. 
Mm-hmm. Now, what this means is, is when I ride on roller coasters, it is actually physically painful to do those drops. Like it hurts me inside my body because like whatever happens at that, that node in my, my esophageal system, like it gets really cramped up bad. And mm. now, and I know it's not pleasant for anybody to like do that, like those G-force drops like that, right? This is you're basically like free falling when you're going down a roller coaster but i've been on several roller coasters trying to like like i'm like trying to muscle through like surely i can get over this right if i just like really tighten up and, and hunker down i'll get through it was as recently as two years ago i did and like it it felt like somebody was punching me in the stomach as hard as they could Ugh. so megatron my this is my fan theory megatron is the same <laughs> affliction but in a cybertronian so like where everybody else goes on the roller coaster like we but Megatron's like, no, no. <laughs> so during Decepticon Thanksgiving, all the other Decepticons were like, burp, burp. Yeah. And Megatron was just like, I ah, can't burp. Well, and, and doctors have told me that the best thing I could do when that, when I get like, so like if I have to and I can't, like I'll get a lot of pressure and it'll actually physically hurt really bad. And uh, they said, lay on your back. And what did Megatron do at th- uh, Decepticon Thanksgiving? He laid on his back and went to sleep. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. yeah. Who it knew? All comes together. Megatron and I would like be, you know, it's like it's like we're trapped in a cave talking about our problems. <laughs> like Megatron, I, I had I no knew, idea. I knew that secret burp origin about you, but I did not know that it would factor in as on amusement <laughs> park rides. Well, I didn't make the connection until until just now because of you. Also, <laughs> we were talking about this amusement park ride. It's basically like a very crudely drawn version, like the teacups ride from like Disneyland mm-hmm. or like a very slow tilt a whirl. And it's, it, it actually is super adorable to see Bumblebee sitting there with Spike and Carly rotating around this thing really slowly. And again, yet another picture of my fifth grade fantasy and, you know, always with just beyond arm's reach. Like mm-hmm. I should have been sitting there in, in, next to Carly and Bumblebee, but <laughs> alas, they'll never be. So, yeah, what are, what are they doing after they have fun at the amusement park? Well, from the amusement park, apparently we cut away to them going to the airport to pick up Sparkplug. <laughs> so, this whole amusement park scene had no bearing on anything. <laughs> You're right. This doesn't figure into the plot any place else. Hey, I'll take it. Spike and Bumblebee doing regular stuff. I'm in. I'm in all the way in. Here's all my chips. Take it. Take it. Do you, does it need to have to do anything to do with the story? No. No. You can have them going out for Happy Meals. You can have them going out to a park. You can have them going out to like adopt a, a pet. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so they're headed to the airport. But where's Sparkplug flying in from? I don't know. Mm. <laughs> I'm guessing he was off on some oil rig somewhere making that money. And Sparkplug gets a welcome back hug from his son. I mean, he he is wearing a three-piece suit when they meet him. Like, we've never seen Sparkplug dressed up before, so maybe he was on some kind of business dealings. That's true. Uh, I wondered if that was just because he was on a plane, because this is going to sound weird to people, but in the 80s and before, people dressed up to fly on a plane. (laughs) And it was kind of a regular understood deal that you dress nicely when you get on the plane you don't just wear your boxer shorts and wife beater like people probably do now but uh, yeah well yeah I, I wonder if people like took off their shoes 
you know, or or, or were those like uh, those Nike sandals, those flip flops that people wear in around the house kind of thing? Were those under <laughs> the plane? But they yeah, you're right, you're right. It was a different time, so maybe that was it. But anyway, so they 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 greet him at the airport. Oh, good to see you again. Where were you? I'm not telling. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy has a secret, son. (laughs) I have a life outside of you, you know. (laughs) But anyway, what happens? But out the airport window, Spike sees two military jets land, one blue and one maroon. Hmm. Spike asks Bumblebee what military jets would be doing at a commercial airport, and Bumblebee thinks it's cause enough to investigate. They sneak off to the hangar that the jets pulled into, and they sneak a peek around the corner. Turns out those jets were Thundercracker and Thrust, and they transform and join Megatron, Starscream, and Soundwave already within. Now, we have to describe the hangar. They do a pan here as we go from left to right. We see the jets parked, and then they they transform into standing mode, and then the the camera pans right, and we see the hangar changes. Mm -hmm. It's like as you enter it, it's just like gray walls, maybe typical of a hangar, but about 20 feet in, suddenly everything is purple. So this is clearly a custom-created Decepticon hangar, which they somehow added to the airport without anyone noticing that a new (laughs) hangar popped up. Yeah, and I like how it's, like, halfway built, right? Like, it's like, well, we got to leave the front half, you know, normal. So in case (laughs) we leave the door open, people who see it, like, at an angle will say, oh, it's just a regular airport hangar after all. (laughs) But if they look straight on, they'll see that, like, it's another Megatron temporary base of operations. (laughs) <laughs> where he's had the Constructicons make it purple, make it purple, <laughs> big screens, big screens of purple. That's the way I like it. But yeah, because it, it doesn't look unfinished. It looks like it's just they built it to a point and then stopped. Right? Mm-hmm. Weird, but it's it's a neat shot. Well, Bumblebee radios Optimus, letting him know that there's Decepticons at the airport. Send help. <laughs> but Prime's still at the EJK, repairing all the damage done. And that's too far away. Okay, you must have words about this because when the, he said the lines, like we can't get there in time, we're too far away. I, the voice ringing in my head was Hoover's voice saying, but you went to the North pole in like a day. You went to Mexico in a day. You went to Africa in a day. <laughs> now they're too far away. <laughs> I, I think prime's just tired of answering Bumblebee's calls all the time. He's like, Oh, Oh, I need another excuse. It's Bumblebee again. <laughs> oh, now we're, oh, back we're to too your... far away. Oh, You're back sorry. to your uh, it, it's, college it's at comics. Least a mile and a half. Bumblebee, <laughs> we just just call the arc. See see what Wheeljack's doing. <sighs> so Prime instead calls headquarters and solicits help from there, but Wheeljack complains that they're understaffed at headquarters somehow. How are they understaffed? At the base, <laughs> they have all these new characters sitting around. Yeah, and modern Transformers cartoon, we would have had like three cutaways to different Autobots like doing lazy or negligent things, right? We would see like Hound and Blue Street playing video games. We would see, you know, Huffer, Huffer and Braun in a canoe. Like they're they're all just <laughs> gone, you know. And, and well, where did they go? I don't know. Was I supposed to keep track of them? Yes. <laughs> But anyway, he's understaffed. We we don't have anybody here who can help either. And so Optimus says, go to the closet. <laughs> Break out the Dinobots. And they're in a closet still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
We're going to learn all about how rude the Autobots are this episode. <sighs> so Wheeljack walks over to the broom closet, and he opens up the door, and already standing right at the door are the five Dinobots, almost as if they were just dying to get out of a closet or something. Dinobots, we've got a job for you. Me, Grimlock, no like orders. Me, Slag, no like anything. We really need your help. Why won't you give us a hand? Me don't know why not. So we help. This time. I've got to work on their personality circuits. Yeah, because the Dinobots are the ones with the problem here. I make you live in a broom closet, only open the door when I get into a jam and need bailing out, and I bet you wouldn't feel so inclined to assist either. I think Spike needs to check out some books on slavery from the library for the Autobots to read, maybe? Well, you're, I mean, you're, you're joking, but you're pointing to something that I think this story is indirectly pointing to, but not making a big fuss out of, is that friendship is a two-way street, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just because somebody has a lot of capability and a lot of bandwidth you know, there's there's boundaries that need to be established and respect that needs to be established. And this is something that comes up from time to time with young students of mine or kids who attend like the Ann Arbor Comic Arts Festival. And they're like, oh, well, you know, famous people. Can you introduce me or get them to, you know, record a video greeting for me or something like that? And I have to explain mm-hmm. to them. It's like, well, I could. But I won't, and the reason why is because this famous person that you want me to get, get you access to has a lot of people clamoring for their attention. And if I'm a good friend, I have to respect their boundaries, right? And I have to pay attention to the fact that maybe they don't have the room to do this right now. And I, you know, so like out of respect to them, I can't, that kind of thing. And that's what this story is like, again, indirectly pointing to, but they don't say it. And I wish they would say it, is that you, you are absolutely right that Grimlock has every reason to be ticked off about this and even if it wasn't the closet thing even if like because like we're joking about they're always opening a closet door and there's a dinobot just waiting there but even beyond that it's like they're always always asking for help from the dinobots do we ever see them pay it forward to the dinobots do we ever see them making the dinobots lives any better or easier or celebrating them in any way no it's like they they do their what happened in day of the machines right I just wish the Dinobots could get here. And they show up, <laughs> wreck them up, Dinobots. And then they wreck them up, like, all right, go home, Dinobots. And, like, after the second act break, they're gone. <laughs> Maybe we stay here a while, enjoy the fresh air. No. You got a closet yeah. with your name on it back home. Go. So I, I, I just feel like that's this is, this is me doing, like, what is becoming my bit on the show is pointing to the healthful messaging that could be in there. <laughs> it's thematically speaking. And then also in terms of like the way the characters react in the plot, but they don't, they don't hang a hat on it anywhere. They just like, it's just, it's just kind of there in the background, but I think it's an interesting question that's being raised here. And, and yeah, like from Wheeljack's perspective, it's like, man, what's wrong with those guys? Well, stop and think Wheeljack, <laughs> accept the possibility that you might not, have all the answers and your perspective might not be the only one <laughs> you might do a little bit of what they call perspective taking what does it feel like to be grimlock help me help me help me okay go home help me go home help me go home yeah it's frustrating so anyway where are the dinobots going 
Well, back at the airport, the Dinobots have arrived, and they've met up with Bumblebee, who points out the hangar that the Decepticons are hidden in. And the Dinobots transform and prepare to wreck the place. Inside, Megatron's watching the Autobots back at the EJK on a big screen, and remarks that he has to get his hands on those drone plans. I wouldn't think primitive flesh creature technology would be so coveted. Starscream is in the middle of sassing Megatron when Snarl bursts through the hangar door like paper. So much for your secret hideout, Megatron! Even the moronic Dinobots found it! <laughs> this is a great moment. And that's a pretty sick burn by Starscream. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and Megatron has no comeback for that one. He doesn't even hit him. Yeah. He's, he's kind of like, well, yeah, yeah, well, you got a point there. I really enjoy this next part because it's really emphasizing once again that the Dinobots are super OP, right? Like, mm -hmm. they're just like, they're way bigger than everybody in this one. Yep. And they're absolutely frightening. They're so savage. They tear the place apart. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like it's like let, let's all stop and rest on this moment when the Dinobots are like a really fearsome team in the series because I don't think we get much more of this. Yeah, a battle breaks out and Slag's fire breath melts one of Starscream's null rays, just completely melts it off his arm. <laughs> yeah. And Bumblebee's still at the entrance, just peering in around the corner, but he's not getting involved. Yeah. But then Triple Changing Blitzwing comes in from around the back of the hangar. And Spike yells out to warn Bumblebee. So Blitzwing turns into a tank with his barrel aimed squarely at Bumblebee. But up stomps Sludge, shaking the ground and then kicking Blitzwing into the wall of the hangar. Yeah. And Blitzwing transforms into jet mode and takes off, all without saying a word. <laughs> that is pretty great. It's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. you. You made your point. <laughs> now, Rumble, holding a pile of barrels above his head, tries to take on Snarl, but one swing of Snarl's tail knocks Rumble over, and those barrels go flying behind him into the path of the three Seekers that are running up to get involved, causing the three of them to all topple over. Okay, we're back into five-year-old territory. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> Now, Rumble gets angry and brings out the pile drivers to even the odds, but Snarl just again swats him with his tail, sending him flying across the hangar directly into Megatron, knocking him into the computer screen. Okay, yeah, I was just making fun of the slapstick a moment ago, but this bit of slapstick is great. <laughs> the, the shot of Megatron falling head backwards, like almost over, you know, like a backflip kind of thing, and seeing poor little Rumble's, you know, shoulders in Megatron's face as he's falling backwards yeah. is super cute. And, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's always fun to take away Megatron's dignity. Exactly. It's just like you said before, you know, you have to have dignity for a move like this to mean something because it's like the three seekers, you know, they slip and fall on barrels. That's that's just three stooges type stuff. It's yeah. fun. But when Megatron gets a rumble to the face and falls <laughs> over, yeah. that's like, oh, man, you know, yeah, that's that's something that's sweet. So Megatron sits up and literally throws rumble off of him. The Seekers all fly out to try to strafe the Dinobots from afar, but Starscream and Thrust end up getting bombed by Swoop, and they go crashing back down into the hangar. Megatron yells, Charge! and everyone runs towards the Dinobots. Thundercracker and Thrust grab Slag's horns, but are shaken off. Starscream takes shots at Snarl, only to have his blast directed back at him by Snarl's reflective plates. 
and Megatron takes on Grimlock only for him to chomp down on Megatron's waist and toss him into the airport window. Now, I read this chomp scene as Grimlock biting down on Megatron's butt. And I, I wonder, I, th- when I saw it, I was like, okay, this was definitely for, you know, like, this is transgressive humor to 11-year-olds, right? It's like, do anything with a butt when you're 11, and it's automatic yeah. comedy. And, and as, as Grimlock swings Megatron around, like, it, it, there's a shot where Megatron's, like, looking at the camera going, like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it's, again, it's that dignity thing, because if you yeah. do this to Dirge, I mean, it's funny because it's Dirge and, you know. Yeah. Megatron. You know, yeah. big, important, evil Megatron. You see yeah. him in peril like this, and it's like, it's disarming. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. And it just makes the Dinobot seem that much more fierce and powerful. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Optimus, when he fights Megatron, it's going to be like this glorious, imaginative battle that's going to last like four minutes, and you're not really going to know who's coming out ahead until the very end. Grimlock's like, nope, I bite you in the butt and throw you. What? Yep. You did that to Megatron? Yeah, I did. I'm Grimlock. <laughs> Watch out. So, Yeah, so the winner of this battle? Dinobots. All the Decepticons are just lying around, and Spike, Sparkplug, and Carly all cheer at the great job that the Dinobots did. So the Dinobots transform to robot mode to enjoy their victory, but then Megatron sits up and calls for Skywarp to fire at them as they're vulnerable in their robot modes. And they both fire, instead hitting the commercial plane directly behind the Dinobots, which explodes and then sets off a chain reaction blowing up a whole row of airplanes adjacent to them. So the huge explosions send the Dinobots flying through the air as we head to our first commercial break. Very upsetting. One, I didn't know the Dinobots were vulnerable in their robot modes until today. Two, it looks like they get blowed up up at the mm-hmm. end of this this scene and they're like falling to pieces as they're flying towards the camera. So I need to, you know, I, the balm that I'm calling for is commercialism to, to <laughs> soothe, to soothe these, these, these sores, these, these lesions in my emotions. But before <laughs> we go there, I need to ask you, how do you feel about Megatron asking Skywarp to fire and none of the other seekers? There were a lot of people there. There were a lot of Decepticons all lying about why Skywarp? Well, I'd love to say it was because of Skywarp's talents and everything, but I think it was probably just more of a line of shot kind of thing, uh, line of sight. Skywarp was probably the most closest to the Dinobots. Okay. So, I mean, I, I don't think that, like, Skywarp is more coveted for his skills than anyone else or anything like that. Although I'd love to say that if I, if I thought it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like I, I had to think like, okay, well, is it a situation where he's like, it's a reflex from to ask, ask for Skywarp to do it because he knows he's going to get results versus if he has mm. Starscream to do it. Now Starscream shoot him. What should I shoot him? The mighty Starscream shoots somebody. <laughs> Maybe I should be the leader because you're giving me orders. And shut up! <laughs> All right, Skywarp, Skywarp, you do it. For God's sake. <laughs> I wasn't done sassing you. <laughs> Thundercracker shit. Well, he's gone. He's out smoking cigarettes with reflector again. Okay. <laughs> Skywarp. <laughs> You're the only one that sticks around. Anyway. Okay, so there's another another potential fanon to look at. But in the meantime, you know, I just watched Grimlock. Just as I'm falling in love with these Dinobots, they're all getting killed now. 
So <laughs> how can you distract me, Hoover? What what have, what have you got to make me look over here instead of over there? <laughs> well, speaking of the Dinobots flying through the air, here's a commercial for Flying Chicken McNuggets from McDonald's. Presenting the Flying McNuggets! The McDonald's Chicken McNuggets! The barbecue sauce! The action! My mother always told me I'd go far! Oh, they're so happy, and <laughs> they want me to eat them. <laughs> and yeah, they're alive, and they want you to eat them. Hmm. Oh, it's it's like a Douglas Adams book. I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> well, how about we take things back a bit, and we can have this commercial for Lakeside Flying Devils. Somewhere out there, the Baron is winning, but you're one of Lakeside Flying Devils, and you're ready for action. Look out, Sky Commanders! Here comes the Lakeside Flying Devils. <laughs> <laughs> or how about the Cobra Flight Pod from G.I. Joe? Look out, Cobra fucking back! Ah. Uh. I literally had dreams about flying this toy when I was a kid. Like <laughs> something about sitting in a chair and just going up. <laughs> a chair with like a flimsy glass lid on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like are there, are there wings on it? Are you going to glide? No. You just like shoot straight up in the air. And then, yeah, there's a glass dome to protect you from bugs, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I still love it. I still think it's an amazing vehicle, but what a weird idea. <laughs> Uh, I I bought three, so I feel I feel better now. <laughs> Don't tell my mom. <laughs> so what happens next? I'm back for the commercial with my my flight pods in my arms. Well, getting back to the show, as we return, the giant explosion continues, and the Dinobots are being catapulted through the air, and the Decepticons, having defeated them, all fly off. But then suddenly, Red Alert, Hoist, and Inferno pull up, and Inferno gets right to work putting out the fires. And Hoist puts all the Dinobots on top of a plane. Red Alert drives off with Bumblebee with their human friends inside. And then Hoist starts hauling the entire plane he sat all the Dinobots on top of. This is like a big 747. Yeah. This isn't like a Power Glide style plane. Right. This is a huge plane and Hoist is hauling it. Please don't tell me he's hauling it back to the Ark. I can only imagine <laughs> Hoist on, like, the highway, trying to get back to the Ark, those curvy mountain roads, hauling a plane behind him. The next scene is him on the freeway with traffic jams on both sides because of this plane's wings, and he's like, I did not think this through. But, no, we should describe what he's actually doing here. Like, So, like, the planes, when they blew up, like the, he goes to a plane where it, the top of it is gone. The rest of the plane mm -hmm. is intact, but it's like basically like, like a giant wagon now with wings on it. Yeah. And here's another thing, is that Hoist lifts up the Dinobots and puts them in there. Like, how mm -hmm. tough is Hoist? How strong is this guy that he can... He, I'm going to pull a 747 home. What? And I'm going to lift up each and every Dinobot. Granted, they're all blown to pieces, so he has to pick up pieces too, but he's picking up like their, their main body. You know, he picks up Sludge, puts him in a, in a plane. I don't think that Sideswipe and Sunstreaker could have done that, so... Let's hear it for well, Hoist. His name he's, is Hoist. He's he's got to be able to hoist things. <laughs> sure, but he's got that, that 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 block and tackle business on the back of his truck mode, which I thought was giving him some kind of like leverage or something. I didn't know he was actually. Yeah. I haven't looked at his tech spec, and I don't know how strong he is. Maybe he is like way strong. 
But also in this scene, when Red Alert shows up, he's like, I told you there would be trouble. And then uh, Hoist's like, oh, you're always saying there's trouble. And then they, I, I'm pretty sure they repeat the line. Like, like as they're driving off with Bumblebee, he's like, I told you there'd be trouble. Like, well, what was that? Is that like them just playing on like the, the malfunction from, you know, Auto Berserk? Or did they forget they put the line in there? I don't know. But it, it, like, comes, it comes in again at a really weird point. <laughs> I just think they're trying to hit home the fact that Red is, he's something. Back in the <laughs> 80s, we, we just would have said, oh, Red's crazy. Yeah, but yeah. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> we don't. We, we don't like that language these days. But yes, he, he's 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 a he's a wild. He's got some wildness to him. Red has some mental issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which we talked about in Auto Berserk, which was a fun and one. And that's why I love him. I'm not saying yeah. that negatively. Yeah, but also pure Sunbow. This is one of those things that you mm-hmm. celebrate when we talk about this. Is like, yes. Okay, Red Alert's here. We have to hear that he's worried. Mm-hmm. Oh. Inferno's here. We have to see that he's a, a, a robot of action. He fixes the problems, right? Yep. So yeah, so they're they're somehow taking this plane back to headquarters, I guess. <laughs> well, we'll never know because we switch scenes and everyone is back at the ark. And thankfully, we were spared that scene of Hoist towing a jet down the highway. <laughs> but Jazz tells us they've been repairing the Dinobots for six hours now. Ratchet, Wheeljack, and Hoist are all working on them. And as Ratchet works, he gets electrically shocked and complains about the primitive tools he's forced to use. Hoist adds that the tools were better on Cybertron, and then in a great moment of Ryder's remembering character, Mirage goes to the view screen of Teletran 1 and brings up images of Cybertron. Everything was better on Cybertron. I still feel a power surge when I think about home. And I think that's a good reminder for viewers. Mirage just wants to go home. That's Mirage's priority one. And we haven't heard from him since the traitor, maybe? It's been a while since Mirage has said or done very much. Well, maybe maybe Mm -hmm. it was a City of Steel, but it's been—he hasn't said or done very much that like reminds us of who he is. So like that was also yes, you're right. This is this is nice that the writer, uh, Mr. Cress, Mr. EJK, is paying Mm -hmm. close attention to the the tech specs in these characters and just finding a way to get them all to to say and do something. It's like this this little conversation is very much like teeing things up for we're going to have an adventure that goes back to Cybertron. You know, we're going to remind everybody really quick. They all come from Cybertron, this planet that they haven't been to in a long time. You know, (laughs) well, who who can we get to say that? Well, do we have anybody who especially loves Cybertron? Yes. Well, let's have him (laughs) do the line. That's nice. Well, then we cut to presumably the next day where many Autobots are at the airport fixing up the damage caused by the Decepticon attack. In a very unrealistic use of his flight abilities, Power Glide helps Ironhide lay down some bricks <laughs> while Grapple adds a roof to their construct, but the roof being added somehow causes the entire structure to collapse, causing Ironhide and Power Glide to have a laugh at Grapple's expense. Don't worry, Grapple. We all make mistakes. Not me. Not like this. Thank you for putting this line in. One, because I'm now a charter member of the Grapple fan club. And and like like this line like hurts to hear now. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I totally get it, Grapple. When I was a kid, I didn't get him. Like, what's his problem? Why is he such a why is he such a whiner? <laughs> and then you became the whiner. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. No. Busted. Super busted. But like with it. When they're putting the, this building together, and I, like uh, 
Grapple loads up these bricks into Powerglide's like sort of torso, and Powerglide's flying by while Ironhide's like laying down the what the cement or whatever, mm-hmm. and Powerglide like drops the bricks as he flies over, and they all land in a row perfectly. Which is like okay, well, maybe <laughs> there's a reason for Powerglide to be so arrogant, right? That, that that's that's precise. But like when they finish the building, when Grapple's about to put the lid on it or the roof on it, there's no door. Like this bothered me <laughs> since I was a child. It's like they just there's built a, brick a door. There's a brick square. They they built a brick square. There's no there's no exit. There's no entrance. Anyway, but yeah, <laughs> and, and and Grapple just before he puts the the roof on, he's like, I'm you know my Optimus is trying to help. Him. He's like a little bit more, a little bit left, a little bit right. Go this way, go that way. And and Grapple's like, my precision is uncanny. And then it falls apart, and that's when he's upset. And also that journey is one that I feel like is very true to the creative people I know. Today, I feel like I. You know, I am nature's greatest miracle. You know, tomorrow, oh, I don't even want to look in the mirror. You know, what a mess that thing is. <laughs> well, one thing I read on the wiki that I did not get out of this exchange is that this, at least according to whoever wrote the wiki, this is the first sign that something is going on with the Autobots. You know, Grapple oh. says, I don't make this kind of mistake. Oh, but made yeah. The mistake. See, I, I, I'm so busy empathizing with them. <laughs> I missed the plot point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it was it was lost on me until I read it. So, I mean, I don't know if that was the intent, or if he was just showing that Grapple's, you know, kind of arrogant about his skills, but maybe not as good as he thinks he is. But the wiki sort of listed this as one of the malfunctions with the Autobots. So. This is a weird episode. There is so much goofiness in it and so much stuff that I'm just like, what, what? It, it doesn't feel tight. It feels very kind of like there's, I wouldn't, I don't want to say slapdash either, but it feels like there's incongruous parts in here, right? Like the, the part at the fair, which I was celebrating, but at the same time, mm-hmm. I get it. Uh, you, you th- that you can easily critique that, yeah. but that actually, that's pretty good. That's pretty subtle, and it, I like that it's ambiguous. You can read it either way, but it's there as a clue to lead you to like, okay, well, we knew as early as when Grapple made that mistake, and, and like it's it, it points to something that I love in like John Carpenter films, like in, in his like eighties films, like he does things in the story where he like leaves little disturbing clues in the foreground for you to go like, that's weird, and like what, once you're like ten minutes in, you're like, oh, he was telling me the whole time that this thing is happening, this terrible <laughs> thing is happening. Yeah. You know? Well, then we cut away to the Decepticons flying through the air when Ravage suddenly ejects from Soundwave right in the air. And he lands on the ground and starts walking in circles. Uh oh. I know what this means. What? what? What does it mean? Ravage has to go potty. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, but Megatron wants to know why that happened, and Soundwave doesn't know. And then a scream from Starscream captures our attention as suddenly he starts falling to the earth. <laughs> and then Megatron and Soundwave follow suit. So does Thundercracker, Skywarp, and Blitzwing. Everyone just crashes to the ground. Megatron holds his head, struggling to stand, as Rumble runs up to him and starts swatting at Megatron's arm. Megatron is perplexed. <laughs> Megatron just swats him away and rises to his feet. 
Now, as somebody who loves the fact that Megatron has shown like a special regard for the tapes, how do you feel about that? Like when Megatron's like, all right, something's going on here. And then, while he's saying that, he literally swipes his arm across the screen and Rumble just goes flying away. <laughs> well, it's the second time he's basically <laughs> swatted at Rumble in the episode. So I, I understand that Megatron is not Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah. I just treasure the moments where he is actually nice to his subordinates. So, I mean, I wouldn't expect any less of Megatron. I, I don't really get mad because he's he's Megatron. You know, that's what he right. does. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, this this is the leader we chose. I, I also like, and I felt it as a kid in this scene, like, you can hear the fear in Rumble's voice when he's yeah. doing this. <laughs> it's like, nothing good is going to come out of this. Why are you doing this to me, body? <laughs> <laughs> As we cut back to the arc, Wheeljack's having Swoop try to transform, but he can't. Ratchet adjusts their resistance rating with the remote control, and then Swoop can transform. Prime calls in on Teletran and asks how the repairs are going. Wheeljack reports that they just wrapped up, and Prime says that the Decepticons are on the rampage again, so the Dinobots need to be sent out once more. <laughs> Another jam. Sorry, Dinobots, guess what? But Grimlock protests. Dinobots, no go! Me, Grimlock, no take orders! Never! Yes, yes, no! Me, Slag, agree! Me, Swoop, no listen to Optimus Prime! Grimlock, our leader! Yes, Dinobots follow Grimlock! <laughs> but you love to fight! Us fight when us want to. Now, goodbye. There's something super adorable about yes, yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've loved that line since I was a kid, and I still love it. <laughs> so the Dinobots storm out of the Ark to the utter shock and dismay of the Autobots. But can you blame them? If I had five friends that I kept in a locked closet until I wanted them to go out and do stuff... Uh, Spike has been very remiss here in teaching the Autobots about holding someone in captivity, it seems. This, you're absolutely right. Like, th this is perfectly called out. And, and I, again, I wish the story called it out a little bit more. Yeah, the story doesn't paint it like the Autobots are in the wrong at all. That's right. That's right. Yeah, the, the Dinobots are just being petulant. And, I mean, maybe, but I think that we, up until this point... We've never seen the Dinobots ever do anything just well, except for Dinobot Island. When he got sent to Dinobot Island to train, they were like, oh, I'm happy here. Mm -hmm. Right. But then like Dinobot Island like went away or whatever with uh, whatever time storm happened and they went back into being put in a storage closet. So, yeah, I, I, I feel like we need Chip and Spike and Carly. Actually, Carly's here. Let's have Carly and Spike do it. Have a little bit of an intervention saying, like, did you ever think about what it's like to be Grimlock? Well, no, I didn't. I made him. He's my property. What? What did you say, Wheeljack? Say that again out loud. Say that again out loud. I dare you. You know? And he's like, what? Well, we cut back to the Decepticons, who have mostly got things back under control. Megatron postulates that perhaps bad Energon resulted in their malfunctions, so they're filling up Energon cubes at a power plant. And then a convoy of Autobots led by Prime pull up and transform to robot mode. Well... All except one. Jazz seems to be stuck. So Ironhide decides to kick him. 
and it works. <laughs> wow! Thanks! I think. This performance by Scat Mac Carruthers, it's, it's, a, it's a simple line, but there's a lot of complexity in there, a lot of good stuff in that line, because like up until this point, like jazz changed after the first miniseries jazz was their ops manager he was like sort of like this really second in command you could count on and then like season one proper begins and he's kind of like yeah he's the laid-back guy Mm -hmm. and like they've done this pretty consistently with him like when blue streak was trying to kill him in attack of the autobots he's like hey come on you're likely to get messed up if you do this you know it's like (laughs) this and when he says i think it's funny but you also hear that like did you enjoy that? You better not have enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's also, it's like, this was a joke from that period where it's like the Millennium Falcon doesn't start up and then Han Solo hits the console and starts up. The, the Arthur Fonzarelli goes up to the jukebox. He hits the jukebox <laughs> and it starts up. This is like, was everywhere at that time. I feel like even as a kid, I was like, yeah, I've seen this joke before, but I like the Scatman colors put in that little bit. I think, I think, I think, thank you. <laughs> Maybe also F you. <laughs> Language. <sighs> so the Autobots run towards the Decepticons, causing Megatron to exclaim, It's the Autobot! The Autobot! Too bad! He's blown his vocal components! I guess that makes me the new leader! <laughs> and this is amazing. <laughs> it's not oh Megatron's on Cybertron or Megatron's unconscious Megatron just can't talk <laughs> and this is enough for Starscream to declare himself the new leader this is almost borderline self-parody but I am all for it <laughs> the Megatron Starscream rapport in this episode is perfecto <laughs> So new leader Starscream transforms to Jet and takes off, only to come crashing right back down immediately. Ironhide runs up, wanting to cool him off with liquid nitrogen, but Ironhide can't retract his hand. So the liquid nitrogen just sprays inside of him, causing Ironhide to freeze over completely. And Mirage, making absolutely no attempts to help Ironhide, (laughs) runs up and says... Fortunately, I can still become visible. And with that, Mirage turns grayer, still yeah. completely visible. And he runs towards Thundercracker, thinking he's going to get the drop on him. But he's not invisible. So Thundercracker just shoots him, and he goes flying into a wall. <laughs> and Mirage wonders how he knew he was there. Yeah, I do like the effect they did where they like they basically just desaturated his colors, right? Mm-hmm. It's like so part yeah. of the turning invisible is like removing the hue and then we'll get to the values after that. So that that part <laughs> is neat. But you're right. Like he just runs by Ironhide's like, "Well, too bad for you, Ironhide. Fortunately, <laughs> I can still become invisible." So you get what you deserve in this scene, Mirage. As a matter of fact, I'm back on my high horse looking at the Autobots going like, "Why are you all being so bad? Why are you all being so bad at this?" Where's Chip? Where's Carly? Where's Spike? Somebody straighten these people out! (laughs) Well, then Soundwave ejects Ravage, who pounces towards Optimus Prime, knocks him over, and then turns back into a tape and just lies on the ground. Now Prime picks him up and drops him into a trash can. (laughs) (laughs) 
Jazz transforms to his car mode, planning to unleash his speakers on the Decepticons, but his speakers don't come out. Instead, his hood opens. Jazz asks what gives, and Blitzwing retorts, I do! Blitzwing shoots a giant hole in the ground for Jazz to fall into, but Blitzwing also falls into the giant crevice. Shift or be smashed! Yeah, what was that? Sounds like shift or be smashed, but I don't understand that sense. So. Yeah, yeah. If anybody knows what is said there and why, four million years <laughs> later at gmail.com. But yeah, that line confused me. I listened to it twice. I'm like, yeah, that's what it sounded like he said to me. And we've gotten zero indication of what Blitzwing's personality is so far. So right. I can't point that to anything saying like, oh, that's probably why he said it. You know? Yeah, he's been in numerous episodes now, but I think this is the first time we actually hear him speak. He's voiced by Ed Gilbert, who also does Thrust, Sean Berger, General Hawk on G.I. Joe, Hacker on Centurions, Metlar on Inhumanoids, 3030 on Bravestar, The Mandarin on the 90s Iron Man cartoon, hmm. and El Seed on the Tick cartoon. Oh. And he died in 1999. Hmm. We do a pan across the battlefield and everyone is malfunctioning. We pan over to Megatron and he's struggling just to stand. Go ahead, leader. Do something. It's only to spike you. Again, great Megatron Starscream dialogue in this episode. <laughs> Megatron fires at Prime but hits the power line tower behind him and it collapses onto Prime, pinning him to the ground. And then Megatron transforms to gun mode and lands in Starscream's hand. And he approaches Prime, comes up right to him, as Megatron exclaims, I never miss at this range. And we head to our second commercial break. Hmm. He never misses at this range. Never. Nope. So long as is dead. So... I guess there's nothing for it but to turn the turn the to the show off and just go out and buy things. <laughs> Are, do you feel sad, Hoover? Do you feel sad? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Megatron's winning. Well, next time you feel sad, call me and we'll go shopping. <laughs> I just feel like aiming guns at people, but maybe <laughs> you wanting to go shopping and me wanting to aim guns at people, we can team up. And here's a moody commercial for Photon, the laser battle game. Oh, we're selling you on the future with this one, kids. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be great. <laughs> well, how about this commercial for the Nintendo Entertainment System with Zapper, so you can aim a gun at your TV screen and shoot ducks. When you shoot the light-sensing Zapper, when you play the system with so many arcade hits, you're playing with power. I hate that dog. I hate that dog. Can't get the duck. <laughs> I just don't like it when he laughs at me. I have enough problems. <laughs> or if you don't want to aim the Nintendo Zapper at your TV, you can always aim your Captain Power Jets at your screen and try to shoot Lord Dread. Interlock zeroes in on a TV target, fires invisible beams, and scores, and keeps score. Or you hit. Interlocker scopes out the XT7. Score or be hit. Mmm. 
I did think that was rather amazing technology, and honestly, I still think it somewhat is. I did too. I really thought like the the commercial for the the, the toy, where it's like it's like a, a a distress signal sent to you from Captain mm-hmm. Jonathan Power, like that worked on me, right? I'm like, oh, I'll help you. And then like the fact that like, wait a minute, I'm watching a TV show and I can play with the toy with the TV show. Where has this been? You know, like why is why is it taken until all the way to 1985 for this to happen? For crying yeah. out loud. So and and the weird thing is, it's like I thought it was fascinating, but not fascinating enough to get me to buy it. <laughs> yep, yep. Because I would see the toys and I'd be like, "Well, it's just like a bunch of dudes with shiny armor. Like I don't know anything about them, you know." And I think that was part of the problems. Like the premise is great, the technology is alluring. You don't have any characters, you know. And and, and let me let me back up and say I know Larry Dottilio wrote the show. And I was I just have, gonna insert that. <laughs> Yeah. So like, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying the show didn't have characters. I bet if I went back and rewatched, there's probably a lot to love, but I'm talking about purely from the commercial, like the GI Joe commercials, the Transformers commercials, you had a sense like of who these people were, right? This Mm -hmm. one gave me the premise, but not the people. And like, I I think I needed the people in order to like fully sign on. I think that's a case we've been Mm -hmm. laying out for every episode of this podcast. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, it's like, you know, G.I. Joe, you know, you can't think of G.I. Joe without thinking of the huge personalities involved. You know, most people when they think of G.I. Joe, they don't just think of like the Mobat and the Vamp running around. They think mm-hmm. of Duke and they think of Snake Eyes and Shipwreck and these giant turned up to 11 personalities. And it came through in the commercials. Remember the Destro commercial for the comic book? Oh, yeah. And what right? about that Zartan commercial we just heard <laughs> last week? He's an evil master of disguise. Zartan changes color right before your eyes. Zartan. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the Captain Power commercial didn't have that. And I think if it would have had that, I would have probably been much more in on it. Yeah. Even almost 35 years later, I think that technology is, is something else. And I wouldn't mind someone trying to bring that back. Yep. Same here. Anyway, so, we were talking about Transformers, weren't we? Well, <laughs> Starscream's about to murder Optimus Prime here, so we better get back to that. Okay. He never misses. So Megatron is in gun mode in Starscream's hand, and there looks to be about 10 to 15 feet of space between them, and Megatron never misses at this range, unless he's malfunctioning, which he is. So, naturally, he misses. <laughs> He shoots the ground and Starscream falls backward. And Megatron's just like, man, if I can't hit Prime from 10 feet away, it's time to just get out of here. So he calls for a retreat and the Decepticons attempt to fly away, but no one can. And they jump up and crash right back down. Eventually, they just have to make like a Teletubby and run away! It is worth watching this scene when Megatron is trying to fly away because he does like this little dancing bit where he jumps up and then he goes back down and then he like he's on one toe and he's flapping his arms a little bit while he's trying to get his balance then he falls down and the whole time he's got his back to us so like we don't see his face at all and it just makes it seem that much more tragic and silly what's happening to poor (laughs) Megatron here. It looks like me trying to do ballerina moves. <laughs> it really does. It's really clumsy looking. 
it's pretty great. So everybody look up from your books or your phones when this is happening. You won't be sorry. <laughs> and the Autobots can barely even stand, and Ironhide asks what's happening to us. And Prime doesn't know. But eventually they make it back to the Ark, where Sparkplug's doing all he can to repair everyone, starting with Wheeljack. Prime drives right in, transforms, and immediately collapses. He asks Perceptor if he has figured out the problem. Fortunately, I am stuck in microscope mode, and I think I have deduced the problem. After millions of years of being exposed to Earth's atmosphere, an element that's essential to our mechanical operation is deteriorating. Wait. Let's hear that last part again. After millions of years of being exposed to Earth's atmosphere, an element that's essential to our mechanical operation is deteriorating. <laughs> okay, so everyone's short-circuiting because they've been on Earth for millions of years. Everyone. Yep. Everyone. Receptor, Power yep. Glide, yep. Hoist. Yep. So all of these second season characters have to have also been on Earth for, quote, millions of years. They didn't just show up from Cybertron nine episodes ago. If they had, they'd be absolutely fine. Oh, let me check my watch. What time is it? Oh, it's Hoover Theory time. <laughs> okay, good, good. Because yeah, we've got a problem here in that all of these Transformers introduced themselves to Chip a few episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, unless Perceptor is so shy, so, so shy. <laughs> For 30 episodes, he was just in the back room like, oh, I I can't come out and introduce myself to Spike and Sparkplug. Probably. Yeah, I'm yeah. too busy. Yeah, and, and like Huffer's like, just go talk to him. They're nice. I'm telling you they're nice. He's like, no, 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 no. Well, back around Heavy Metal War, I postulated that Shockwave sent the Constructicons off to find Megatron sometime during the Autobots and Decepticons four million year nap, and that their ship similarly crashed on Earth and they had to be re rebuilt here on Earth due to the damage. We talked about that before, but here's a mm -hmm. new part to that theory. Why would Shockwave send the Constructicons off-world as opposed to others? Well... Shockwave promised Megatron that Cybertron would remain as he left it, which means new construction is forbidden on Cybertron. <laughs> Shockwave can't have Megatron <laughs> returning to new bridges and new headquarters. So the Constructicons are all out of work. Sure, there's Autobot Rebellion, but there's like six Rebel Autobots or so, so it's not important to keep Devastator around. So Constructicons, you go find Megatron. He went that away. Go. Go look. So similarly, I don't see the Autobots on Cybertron just riding off Prime and his bunch without some investigation. So I think at some point, these Season 2 guys left Cybertron to come find Prime. And they've been on Earth at least millions of years. Mm. Now we're starting to push the limits of believability if we just have everyone who comes to Earth immediately crash the ship and go into stasis lock. So I think I would have the Season 2 team active for a little while on Earth. Let's say, I don't know, sometime in the period that the original Autobots were sleeping. So let's say Perceptor... He gets a signal lock on Cybertronians one day, and they follow the signal, and they actually end up finding the Insecticons. 
and maybe their adversaries for a while. So you have like the season two Autobots active on Earth fighting the Insecticons while the season one characters are all still in their stasis lock. And then maybe something happens to the season two Autobots to take them offline and put them into stasis lock. Maybe they simply have no way of getting energy, unlike the Insecticons. Mm. I mean, if maybe it's like only, I don't know, 1492 or something. <laughs> There's, they can't just go to a power plant and get energy. So maybe they just essentially starve until they go into stasis. Who knows? But then who finds the season two team jersey? I don't know. Who finds the season two team? Holler, a.k.a. What? Grapple, who wasn't seen after episode one because censors told him that his best friend forever, Hoist, <laughs> was somewhere on this planet. So Prime allowed him to go off and search for him, huh? Huh? It's all starting to come together. <laughs> and this has been the last 25 years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong. No, I am not. Hoover has done this with virtually every Transformers cartoon we've ever watched <laughs> together. Oh, my gosh. Even the 2001 R.I.D. show. At some point, yep. we'll have to do a bonus episode where you explain your expl- You come up with an explanation for how uh, ruination is actually Bruticus, and mm-hmm. it makes sense. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. So, so you're saying, okay, Hoover? What about season two Decepticons, like the three new Seekers or Blitzwing, who are also shown to be having the same malfunctioning problems? Yeah. Well, it would have been great had they just been found on the Nemesis ship in Microbots, but they didn't do that. But what if they had come to Earth in Astrotrain in order to find Megatron before the Constructicons were sent here? And they all eventually end up in Stasis Lock. I know it's a lot of crash ships in Stasis Lock, but I'm still feeling this one out. <laughs> and I'd, I'd have Megatron find Astrotrain and his team somewhere later and get them back up and running much as he did the Constructicons. I don't know. It's all still coming together. But I warned you, I think about this stuff too much. (laughs) (laughs) But oh yeah, Perceptor was talking, right? Yeah. So they've been away from Cybertron too long, and an element they need to properly run has run out. Then we must replace it. If only we could. The element is Cybertonium, and it doesn't exist on Earth. He's right. The only place to get to Cybertonium is on Cybertron. And the only way to get to Cybertron is over the Decepticon space bridge. Mmm, problematic. Mm-hmm. And just then, Spike and Carly run in, saying Teletran 1 intercepted a Decepticon transmission stating that Shockwave was sending Cybertonium to Earth via the space bridge. How convenient. But Spike and Carly don't even know what that means. But Prime sure does. And she's like, does that mean anything to you, Prime? He's like, everything, Carly. Everything. <laughs> and that, that performance, like that and like Perceptor's performance earlier, those are the moments that made me feel like as a kid, like, oh, this is serious. This is a really, really scary episode. Even though nothing visually scary is happening. Well, Autobots falling to pieces, yes. But <laughs> but even then, it's like silly, like Power Glide sitting, holding his head in his lap and talking, you know? <laughs> But, like, something felt really dire, and I feel like this moment is that moment where, like, as a kid, I was just like, oh! (laughs) Well, the Ace of the Air, Powerglide, offers to fly to the space bridge to go get the Cybertonium, if he can pull himself together. Literally. He's holding his head in his hands. 
and the Autobots are all in various states of malfunction. And we see Jazz, and his bottom half is in car mode, and his top half is in robot mode. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of a neat scene where it's like you can actually like reenact it with your Transformers. Right. You could transform them that way, yeah. <laughs> Prime says it's too dangerous for Power Glide to go, so everyone has to brainstorm for a bit. And shortly, Carly has an idea. The Dinobots were built on Earth, right? Right. But Spike doesn't get it. She takes him over to Wheeljack. Wheeljack, the Dinobots don't have any Cybertonium in them, do they? <laughs> That's true. They should still be operating at full strength. They could go to the space bridge and intercept the Cybertonium. So it sounds like a plan. Except the Dinobots took a hike because they didn't enjoy living in a closet. <laughs> so Sparkplug then uses Teletran to locate the Dinobots and turns out they're about 40 miles away. Now I just envision like, I mean, sure the Dinobots can fly, but they seem to like being dinosaurs a little more. So I'm just imagining like passersby seeing these giant robot dinosaurs <laughs> just like randomly walking outside, probably just stepping over the freeway. And then in Hoover's Fannin, there's like a married couple in a car, and the wife says, what, what, what is that? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe they're advertising something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a deep, deep, deep cut that most of you, I'll, I'll probably say all of you will not understand, but it's a reference to another cartoon. Look, dear, what's that? I don't know. It must be advertising something. It's a reference to the Fantastic Four cartoon, The Menace of Magneto. But yes, that, that, that's, that's another cartoon series that Hoover and I could do a podcast exploration of and probably spend multiple hours dissecting each episode. And we're talking about the 1978 version with Herbie the Robot Herbie the of robot, Human Torch. Who I love, love, love. All right. So, yes, after we had that, that quick, quick diversion... Yeah, the Dinobots are 40 miles away, so Carly tosses the keys to her convertible to Sparkplug, asking him to drive. <laughs> I've been riding with the Autobots so long now, I hope I still know how to drive. So 40 miles and one transition later, the trio have found the Dinobots, and Grimlock's not too happy about this. You follow us! Make trouble, me Grimlock crush you! Grimlock, we need your brilliant help! Me, Swoop, want to hear brilliant parts. As Grimlock is about to step on the car, Swoop flies down and picks it up. Sparkplug tells him that the Autobots are dying and only they can save them. It is kind of unusual because he does say that. He says the Autobots are dying. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and that's something we talked about in some recent episodes is, like, the word kill, death, die. Those words didn't get used a lot in the kids' cartoons at this time, so it felt like thunder when they did get used, and mm -hmm. that probably was contributing to, like, part of the, the, the feeling I had towards this. Also, Grimlock just tried to kill the humans, right? <laughs> Holy cow. But I like that, once again, we're staying close to the file cards or the tech specs in these characters because, like, Sparkplug knows the way to Grimlock's heart is to his ego, right? <laughs> At least it works with Swoop, right? I want to hear about the brilliant part. <laughs> but Grimlock doesn't care what happens to the Autobots, but Spike tries to convince them. If you don't help, the Decepticons will get all the Cybertonium they need. Cybertonium? Cybertron! Okay, us do it! A slag and Sludge don't want to, but Grimlock asserts his authority as leader of the Dinobots and tells them they're doing it. 
Well, Slag doesn't lie to you, but all Sledge says is like, what do you say? <laughs> <laughs> Sledge seems more confused than anything else. <laughs> and he, I, I'm not clear who he says it to. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, Sledge is so cute. <laughs> well, then we cut to the space bridge being unloaded by the Constructicons. And they instantly get involved in a scrap with the Dinobots who show up ready to fight. And it's not long before the Constructicons form Devastator, but Scavenger apparently was a little busy shoveling Cybertonium, so Devastator is missing his right arm. But the Dinobots don't stick around for the fight and just waddle into the space bridge. <laughs> and up they go into the swirling dimensional portal. So apparently it's easier to travel the space bridge now than it was in Transport to Oblivion. It doesn't require a little train car now. <laughs> yeah, and you can just like float up into the sky, and it's maybe Megatron like sort of left a uh, Cybertronian version of a breadcrumb path when he got sucked up to Cybertron at the end of that episode, perhaps. Mm. But yeah, they just like fly up, and then it's like, oh, are they lost forever? No, because we go to Cybertron. Well, we cut to Cybertron where Shockwave's about to sit down and watch old home movies of Megatron <laughs> when unexpected guests emerge from the Space Bridge doorway. It's the Dinobots, and they're not here to sell Avon. <laughs> now, Sockwave warns the stowaways to stand back, but much like Rage Against the Machine, they don't do what you tell them. <laughs> Slag rushes him and knocks him into the air with his horns and then stomps on him. Yeah, and okay, Shockwave is no slouch either. So this is, again, mm -hmm. the Dinobots are, like, not to be messed with. And I love these Dinobots. I love the, the giant brutes, and I miss yeah. them. Yeah. We cut back to the arc where the trio of humans have returned, and Sparkplug wants to know what the Dinobots ended up doing. He tries to call them via Teletran, and somehow Teletran gets the visual of Grimlock in the Decepticons HQ <laughs> on Cybertron. <laughs> Okay, I guess maybe this could happen. Like, okay, Teletran detects where Grimlock is. Oh, he's on Cybertron. You know, okay. I guess that could happen. So let me patch into the Decepticon webcam and, uh, yeah. and put him on the screen. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's we've talked about this in the show before. Is like one of the shorthands that this television, a lot of television series of this time did, and probably still continue to do, is like you'll have Megatron like call Starscream on the phone and like, the screen will pop up and you'll see Starscream in jet mode flying in the sky. Like, okay, mm -hmm. wait, wait, where's that Where's that image coming from? Is there like a drone yeah. flying by him? What camera is capturing this image? <laughs> right, right. Now, and, and actually, not to go too far afield, but like in the 2001 R.I.D. series, I thought they handled this 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 problem really well like when they would show sideburn driving on the highway and then if he was talking to somebody like talking to prowl a little triangle inset would appear with with sideburn's face in it you know like in mm. robot modes so like indicating yeah. he's doing the talking right now and then like when they would be talking to ty back at the base they would do the similar kind of thing where his face would just pop up even though he was in car mode like he was transmitting a visual representation of his personality mm. but in this show they didn't do that they just like for some reason, Teletran 1 and the Decepticon computer have sort of omnipresent cameras. They're just everywhere. <laughs> and, like, they can, if they need, it's like, if you're calling Grimlock on the radio and he's on Cybertron, maybe you can get through to him, but why would you see him, right? Like, but <laughs> this, this just, just, like, clarity of storytelling for a kid's show, right? And it's like something that, like, if we get too hung up on this stuff, we ruin the poetry of it. You know, it's like we are talking about robots that turn into dinosaurs and speak English. So <laughs> let's not get too carried away with trying to, like, 
defend everything. <laughs> well, Grimlock's hearing Sparkplug, but he's wondering who's talking and where's the voices coming from. <laughs> Who called my name? Who called Grimlock on Cybertron? Cybertron? You didn't have to go to Cybertron. You better get back while the space bridge is still open. Grimlock, no come back. Dinobots never, ever get back to bossy Autobots. Uh, and then the line is severed somehow. Not that Grimlock knows how to do that. <laughs> I, I like that. I wish they would have done it like, uh, you know, Teletran 1 gets to watch somebody else get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Teletran would be like, oh, that's not me. You know, it's like Grimlock just turns around with his tail and swats the computer and smashes it up. Because that's what the Dinobots <laughs> up to now have always done. Yep. Well, Carly thinks that now it's up to them to go to Cybertron and get more Cybertonian. Spike points out that Prime wouldn't allow it, and Carly retorts that in his condition, he can't stop them either. And it's true, Prime tells them it's too risky, but then he collapses to the floor. Outside, Spike and Carly are in her car about to head over to the space bridge, but before they go, Sparkplug gives Spike a tiny communicator to stick onto his thumb like a band-aid, so they can communicate via Teletran 1 while Sparkplug remains here. Spike hugs him goodbye, and the two head off. Arriving at the space bridge, they find it guarded by Devastator, and he tries to stomp on them, but Carly is a heck of a stunt driver somehow, and not only avoids Devastator's stomps, but manages to duke boys into the middle of the space bridge range, and before they know it, they're being transported to Cybertron. In a convertible. In a convertible. <laughs> now back in Shockwave's house, he's messaging Megatron about more Space Bridge stowaways, but this time he's ready. He shoots the opening door and there's an explosion. Now clearly, Spike and Carly must be atomized. They're dead. He did. They were coming over the Space Bridge. The Space Bridge made the indication that there's somebody in here. And he shot at the door, and we see a giant explosion. So, yes, he just murdered Spike and Carly. <laughs> also, did you see what he murdered them with? Yeah, of course, Shockwave has his left gun hand, which he mm -hmm. always has, except when they don't draw him with it. Yeah. But in his right hand, he has a tiny version of himself. Yes. He has... A shockwave gun scaled to his size as if we took the toy and then grew to shockwave size. Like it's like he could transform it into an action figure of himself. <laughs> Hoover must have a theory about this one. Well, wouldn't it be great if that was like a transformer itself? Like that was almost like a mini con. And <laughs> shockwave had like a mini shockwave, almost like. In Austin Powers, where there was yeah. Dr. Evil, and then the yeah. mini Dr. Evil, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, mini-me. Yeah. No, but but if I could turn into a gun, and handheld guns were still a thing, of course I would make myself a handheld gun that looked just like me in my you gun would? mode. Oh. See, I thought, it, I, I was thinking of a different movie. I was thinking of Spaceballs with Lord Helmet and the action figures in his in his bedroom where he was making them kiss each other. And I'm imagining him <laughs> with his Shockwave action figure and his Megatron action figure. He's like, oh, Shockwave, you're the greatest of all of Cybertron. <laughs> well, I'm definitely not saying that that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we were never apart. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, read to me that poetry that you wrote over the last four million years. Oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where the episode ends. 
Shockwave yeah, murdering. After that big explosion, then we hear Victor Caroli come in and tell us... To be continued on tomorrow's The Transformers. Because our episode is done. Man. Whew. All right. I've got some thoughts on this one. I bet you do, too. <laughs> Go. Oh, okay. Uh, one... It's breaking the formula that the, the two-parter or multi-parter act break has to end with Megatron making a big win. Neither mm-hmm. Megatron nor Optimus are winning right now. Yeah, if we saw Megatron right now, he'd be in a big loss. Or maybe maybe at this point they're getting the Cybertonium, so, I mean, they could be fixed. Maybe, but they haven't made that clear. Mm-hmm. Like, it's arrived, but we haven't seen it getting shipped to them. And Devastator, instead of shipping it to him, is, like, hanging out by the space bridge, right? Also, yep. let's talk about Devastator. He is not falling apart. Yeah, I mean, I think probably the reason they were doing that is because of the line, it was worth the time we took to build them in these caves. So they're saying that they're like the Dinobots and that, you know, they were built on Earth. But we all know that can't be true. So (laughs) we have to go with my theory that they were sent to Earth later by Shockwave to find Megatron. All you good children who are not dog lunches know the truth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly yeah so they've been on earth less time so they've yeah. been they were on cybertron longer if time were to continue and nobody would get cybertonium the constructicons in my at least in my fanon would start going through all these same issues soon okay but okay. they're just not doing it yet because they haven't been on earth quite as long i know the story's not done you know, we've got a second part to get through, and I know that there's growth that has to happen for the Dinobots. But I will say that the, my biggest beef with this one, and it's not a big beef, it's just it's like it's I I think you correctly identified that at no point have we ever seen that this is really Optimus's and the Autobots' fault for the way they've treated the Dinobots all these years. Right. Yeah. I don't think he could do this cartoon today and not pin the blame on the Autobots. Yep. I think it would be way too glaring. Yeah. And, yeah, I I feel like when we were kids and in the time that this was made, there was a little bit more of, like, just taking on faith that the good guys are good because they say they're good. And and that's why when we get to the ones where they're not so good and we see the growth happen, I get more excited because that feels more timeless. It doesn't feel like it's of its time. Like, again, the Skyfire episode or the, well, I hate to say it, but, you know, the core, right? The core is the one where they use the Dominator discs and they're dead wrong about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, those, I feel like that that's missing from this one. I, although I haven't watched part two in a good number of years, although I had, this, this two-parter is one that I had on VHS tape pretty early on. I mean, like, somehow I had a copy of this two-parter in my late teens, early 20s. And so I watched Mm. this one a lot. So I do remember a lot about the next episode, but not every moment. So I know that in the next one, part of the Dinobots' growth is going to revolve around a little bit around them learning that, oh, guess what? We have history. We have culture. And there's more to this war than just what you've experienced, Dinobots. Right? There's more to this conflict than what you personally have experienced, and there's a broader picture to take into account as to help you understand what your place is and all this. But I don't remember anything where Optimus ever says, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't only regard the Dinobots when we need their help. 
But because like mm-hmm. in this one, it's like three times. Three times they're like, "Hey, help, help!" <laughs> N- no, 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 congratulations, no, thank you, no. Like literally, have we ever seen them thank the Dinobots? I don't think we have. Maybe once, but not often. There's definitely not a overwhelming feeling that the Autobots are grateful for the Dinobots. <laughs> right, right. Like I feel like you know, again, in a modern cartoon, this one will, will would have ended with Optimus like actually asking for Grimlock's help, not to blow things up, but ask his help to make decisions. Like, what do you think, Grimlock? What do you think about like doing this Savat? Right, like making him realize that he's respected for being more than a heavy. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be part of well that, that would not only be part of the growth that would feel like more appropriate to like, modern storytelling but it would actually lead towards simon Furman's run on the transformers comics with what he mm-hmm. does with grimlock but mm-hmm. yeah that's that's the main thing that i feel like is missing animation is pretty good i feel like the last couple episodes were better as far as animation goes, uh, the drawings are nice, and there's some really, like, you notice I didn't do as many screen caps this time because, like, the compositions really weren't jumping out at me on this one. Mm-hmm. But the seriousness of the scenario, I think it, like I said, it landed on me as a kid. It feels a little less serious to me now, and I think the reason it feels less serious is because the real crisis as we see it is that the emotional crisis of, like, the power dynamic between the Dinobots and the Autobots isn't clearly defined as much as it could be it's there it's obvious if you look for it but it's not clear that ejk was necessarily pointing uh, like aware of it or pointing toward it right right so what about you what's your takeaway uh it's it's interesting because it's a situation where the autobots and the decepticons are essentially in the same boat Mm -hmm. and it's not like the episodes of gi joe where Joe and Cobra have to team up against the Games Master or something like that. It's a situation that's affecting them both. And this one, they don't have to work together to solve the problem. But it's interesting that they're sort of like tabled. Like the mm-hmm. Autobots and Decepticons are tabled. So the Dinobots have to get involved here. And because of the Autobots' personalities, they don't do what the Autobots want them to do. Mm-hmm. And so the humans get involved. And as far as, like, remembering seeing this as a kid, I don't really have many memories of the first part, but the second part, I do. I just I just remember a lot of Swoop and Spike yeah. on Cybertron together. For some reason, that really stuck with me as a kid, and I don't know why. But, I mean, I remember saying at the start of this podcast that, like, oh, I'm not really a big Dinobot fan, but honestly... I like them more and more every time I see them, <laughs> especially when they're just depicted as so big and so overpowered. When they can, when Sly can just melt Starscream's Null Ray and just stomp on Shockwave, I like that. Yeah. But unfortunately, yeah. as you say, it's like we're not going to see this version of the, the Dinobots for all that much longer. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 that that recipe is super charming to me. And I think, I, I mean, if I were to like point to my own personal experience as to why I find it so appealing, it's like, as a kid who growing up was, again, I, I, don't, I don't think I was necessarily like a shy kid, but I was a sensitive kid. And I was certainly fearful in the sense that I was not a physically intimidating character, you know? I was a very skinny, 
uh, I wasn't necessarily small, but I was definitely a skinny kid. And so in a rural area where physical prowess was largely prized and celebrated, it meant that there was some bullying that was going to happen, like some physical pushing around and stuff. And the idea of having like big friends who I could call to say like, help, <laughs> there's three kids give me a really hard time here. And then when they show up, they don't just show up and go like, stop it. They show up and they're like, I step on you. What do you think of that? Right? <laughs> like that, that fantasy is like very like visceral and like it like it totally speaks to like my 11 year old brain right <laughs> yeah yeah like the, the big monster who's your friend like in monster squad how frankenstein becomes friends with that little kid you know <laughs> that kind of thing is like super appealing and the fact that they don't get used a lot that way actually kind of adds to the appeal right it's not this isn't a power-up they use every time they use it every once in a while and when they do it it's savage and even yeah. big scary weirdos like shockwave and soundwave get knocked down by these guys <laughs> so yeah i i love that about them but yeah it's i i think well i know by season three like after the movie we just don't see that anymore because we got too many other exciting new toys and play sets to buy but <laughs> But as far as this episode goes, you know, there's great Megatron, Starscream interaction. Like, yeah. just about everything they say to one another is just, like, barbed and <laughs> venomous. So that's fantastic. There's cute moments with Rumble. Mm-hmm. So that's that's another checked box. You know, it's, it's, it's good. I, I'm not mad about this episode. I, I, I'm not in love with it, but it's good. But I think some interesting things happen in the next episode, and this this tees those up, so that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, agreed. So the next episode is Desertion of the Dinobots Part 2. Where do we find it on Tubi.tv? And that's in the Season 2 lineup, Episode 20. Season 2, Episode 20 on Tubi.tv. Everybody go watch it, and then we'll get back together here and talk about what we saw. So... Thank you, Hoover, for this discussion. And we record this show once a week, and we drop them into the internet on Thursdays at 4millionyearslater.com and on podcatchers everywhere. If you don't want to see Hoover and me fall to pieces and Hoover suddenly can't talk anymore, and then I'm the leader of the podcast, because if you can't talk, you know, what else are we going to do? Uh, <laughs> See? Now I'm in charge. I get to tell Hoover what to do. Because what's he gonna do about it? He can't talk. You go give us a five-star review wherever you listen to the show. And if you really want to like load us up on some cybertonium and make us fully whole and complete, <laughs> you'll write a review telling saying like three things you like about the show. Just three things. Here's the thing I like that Hoover says, here's the thing I like that Jersey says, here's the thing I like about Transformers. Or even what's my favorite Transformer? Hey, I happen to like Cup. Cup because he's old and cranky. Okay, cool. And two things you like about the show, right? Thanks to everybody who has been writing reviews for us and participating on our Facebook page. It's super meaningful to know that our exploration of this topic is interesting and at least entertaining, if not thought-provoking. Yeah, I'm glad for every single person. Whenever I see a person has either joined the Facebook group or... You know, I see a few more downloads on an episode. It makes me smile. And very few things make me smile these days. So thanks. I really mean it. Let's teach Hoover the lesson of anti-sorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Transformers quote, everybody. <laughs> All right. 
thanks again, everybody, for downloading and listening. Until next time, I've been Jersey Drozd of 4 million years com and Jersey Drozd on Instagram. And I am Hoover. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 Million Years Later, and you can email us at 4millionyearslater at gmail.com. Visit 4millionyearslater.com, and if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works.